Good morning, everybody. It is Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. It's Friday, November 10th. Uh, for those of you who have not joined us before, I am a sales coach and trainer, and I work with both individuals and organizations internationally, helping them do one thing and one thing only, get measurable and sustainable sales increases. And I founded the Sales Pro Network three years ago, that's it, more like three and a half years ago now, to elevate the profession of sales, to give professional and non-professional sales people a place to hang out, network with each other, learn from each other, ask questions, get answers from uh, excellent uh, coaches and trainers who are part of the network, and uh, to end up helping more people and making more money. If you've been with us before, you know that every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, or almost every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, we either do a live interview with somebody who can add value to the profession of sales, or I do a live training. We are supposed to do an interview today, and uh, I did hear from my our guest about an hour ago, so hopefully he'll be joining us any second. Uh, in the meantime, I've got a couple of things I'd like to say. One is um, today here in America, for those of you who are American, uh, today we're celebrating Veterans Day, even though Veterans Day is tomorrow. With all the insanity going on in the world, I don't care what your politics are, but with all the insanity going on in the world, please take a, a moment at least to thank a veteran uh, who's still living and to remember those who pay the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, America is a free country, and uh, some people paid uh, for their for our freedom with their life. So please remember uh, our veterans today. And our guest is here. That's great. So I'm going to bring him on in a second. If you're watching us live, please say hello in the comments. If you're watching us live on Facebook, but have not connected your account to StreamYard. It's just going to say Facebook user. We won't know your name, so please include your name. And of course, if you have any questions for our guests today during the show, please stick them in the comments. I'll be sure to pass them on. And finally, if you're watching us on the replay, please put replay in the comments. And with that, it's my pleasure to introduce you to today's guest. Today's guest is a Sandler sales trainer and the author of Why People Buy. I want to know why people buy. Please welcome Greg Nanigian. Hi, Greg. Hey, Jeff. How are you? How are you? I'm outstanding, my friend. Good to see you. And uh, Greg, uh, before we get going, uh, I have a million questions for you. Uh, but the first one is, we're getting towards the end of the year. Uh, I don't know about you, but I get a lot of the, uh, hey, Jeff, what am I supposed to do? You know, another week or two, you can't close any business because of the holidays. What's your best advice for people for closing business between now and the end of the year, especially those who are either close to their goal or maybe not so close to their goal? That's an interesting uh, question. Uh, it's a good question. In fact, I ran a uh, management training program last week for a group of sales managers with one of our global accounts. And I suggested to them that they have their people focus on three accounts, try to win business with three accounts by end of the year and do everything in their power as sales managers to coach, mentor, whatever, uh, train and help land those three accounts by end of year. So from a leadership perspective, uh, I'm suggesting get your people focus on three specific accounts, try and close them by end of the year and help them however you can. And, you know, in your weekly sales meetings, your coaching sessions and things of that nature in terms of strategy and technique. So How's that? So that you're suggesting the same thing I do. Do not take a shotgun approach. Focus, whether right. it's three accounts or just a handful of accounts. The other thing I, I think it's important for people to keep in mind, well, there's two things. One is that you can close business over the holidays, absolutely positively. Oh, yeah. Thanksgiving is not the dividing line when sales stop. So don't get that head trash out of your head. And, and the other thing is that you can't... You, Certainly, I want everybody to enjoy the holidays and relax when they can, but 
everything you do now is really setting up your Q1. So this is not the time to stop prospecting, that's for sure. Uh, and, and with that, Greg, could you maybe give us the two or three minute version of your background, what brought you up to this point? And then I've got a lot of questions for you, my friend. Well, I, uh, I, was, I, I was in a family business. It was a manufacturing company. This is back in the 80s. And um, I, I didn't own it. And I wanted to own my own company. So I started to look around for op business opportunities. And they ended up in a business opportunities meeting uh, up here in Boston. And a speaker from Sandler Training came in and spoke and shared a little bit about Sandler Training. But back in 1986, no one had heard of Sandler Training. And, I, you know, I was, you know, like 11 years old. I wasn't sure if I could pull it off. I really wasn't 11 years old. But in any event, um, I thought the smart move would be to me enroll in the course and see if I could do it and see how good it was. So I enrolled in the training program at that point in time. We called it the President's Club. And I was in the course for five months. And in our manufacturing company of 30 people, we doubled sales as a result of me implementing what I was learning on an ongoing and regular basis. And since that time, we've grown exponentially. We're very blessed. We're very successful. Uh, I operate out of our office that's just outside of Boston, uh, south of Boston, but we have three other locations here in Massachusetts. And we're working with all kinds of industries all over the world. One of our global accounts is Teradyne, for example. And with them, we're not only training the sales team, but we're also training the support team, which consists primarily of engineers. And we're, we're training them in ongoing uh, programs where the sales team gets 10 to our programs, the support team gets eight to our programs. And now we're talking about reinforcement training and we've trained over 400 people with that company. But then obviously we're, we, we have membership programs for individuals that want to enroll in our course and our starter programs run around. Well, I probably shouldn't say <laughs> there's probably a Sandler rule that we should not quote prices, but in any event, um, one of the wonderful things about the uh, being based in Massachusetts is we have a grant fund up here. So if you have a company that has 100 or less employees, there's a grant available. It's $20,000, a $20,000 reimbursement at 100%. So you could purchase $20,000 training from our company and get reimbursed from the state. And we're submitting uh, grant applications every week on behalf of our clients. We win every single one of them. So it's very easy to get the money. So if you're in the area, uh, give us a call or send us an email. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get you started on it. Amazing. So they, they can really get Sandler training for free. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, they have to pay, but then they get reimbursed 100% of it. We really? have to show uh, proof of payment. When we I, say, I think that's brilliant of Massachusetts as a government because, you know, well-trained salespeople drive business and that's good for everybody. I, I love yeah. that. Um, you, you, you mentioned that, you know, nobody had heard of Sandler then. I, I don't yeah. think there's a salesperson alive who hasn't heard of Sandler at this point. Yeah. Uh, for, for those who aren't familiar, can you just describe what Sandler really is and how it got started? Well, Sandler is a systematic approach to selling, utilizing a step process based on psychological models. And it has uh, numerous techniques based on psychology so that they work. And in our training programs, we're training people on the various psychological models as well as the process and the techniques so that they can get the fit right. Because that's really the toughest part. No, I'll learn. There's a whole, there's a wealth of material to learn as well. But getting the fit right of the various techniques is very, very, very important. Uh, Sandler's been around since 1985, founded by David Sandler. And uh, I was fortunate enough to know him 
for uh, about eight years before he passed away in 1995. Uh, but it's a very strategic, uh, heavily tactical approach to selling and that that works and it's beautiful because we do a lot of qualifying and disqualifying very early on in the process so that your odds of winning the business are very high and your odds of not investing too much time in somebody that was never going to buy anyway are also very high so you're you're eliminating people early on that were never going to buy anyway but you're closing people that really need your product or service and it's really a human being to human being type of methodology because it is based in psychology. And when people are uh, being sold to using Sandler, they feel embraced. And they and Sandler salespeople that are doing it right are building relationships, long-term relationships that in, in both parties will win. Yeah, I'm a fan of the Sandler system. And I, I think I mentioned this to you when we spoke several months ago when we were arranging this yeah. interview that, you know, I'm friendly competitors with the Sandler franchisee out here on Long Island. I, I have the utmost respect for Rich Isaac and what he does. And that years and years ago, right after we first met, probably 16 years ago, we thought it would be fun to do a program together where we get an audience and just take questions from the audience. And we, we were kind of thinking that it would be like the old Saturday Night Live in, in the first year or two when uh, Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin used to uh, do the news. And oh, yeah. she, she would say something and Dan Aykroyd would go, Jane, you ignorant slut. And uh, <laughs> we thought we thought that uh, Rich would take a question and I go, Rich, you're an idiot. Here's what you should really do. Or, or I take somebody goes, Jeff, you're a moron. Here's what you should do. It turned out we agreed on everything. Everything oh, that gosh. he said, I went, well, yeah, that's exactly what I would do, too, and, and vice versa. So I'm a big fan of the Sandler system. By the way, good morning, Bruce Cashman. Always good to see you. Good morning, John Hill. Thank you for being a part of the Sales Pro Network. And I'm betting that Don Levine, who is usually here to say hello, is uh, in the car listening to this. So good listening, and please drive safely, Don. Um, so what are the four guiding principles of the Sandler system? Well, one of them is mutual respect. And, uh, you, you know, we don't use any tactics like uh, it's OK, sir, you don't have to buy today, but the, you know, the price goes up on Monday. We don't use any of that malarkey uh, clarity, uh, which, uh, in, in other words, the the terms of the agreement are clear uh, qualifying decisions. We make sure that uh, the person that we're speaking to has the authority and also they understand that uh, we're looking for decisions, but we do it in a very nice way. And then finally, take the pressure off the salesperson as well as the prospect so that it's an enjoyable experience for both parties. There you go. Love that. Love that. And you mentioned something uh, interesting. You know, we don't do, you know, the price goes up on Monday, so you got to buy today. And you hear a lot, uh, I, I certainly hear a lot about, Jeff, how do I create urgency? Should we be trying to create urgency? If we should, how do we, or is it not important? Yeah, because I think a lot of people out there are procrastinators and we need to help them to make decisions on things that are gonna benefit their lives and their careers. And the way that we create urgency in the Sandler selling methodology is by having meaningful conversations to find out what the prospect's pain is or what their frustration is or what they're unhappy about that they wanna fix and that they wanna change. And it's a, it, you could say that's creating urgency, right? So when uh, a person is talking about, you know, it's, it's interesting. I have a lot of clients that are in uh, IT support, you know, technical support, things of that nature, you know, uh, and prospect starts talking about how their systems are unreliable. Their current IT support company is slow to get back to them, how frustrating it is. And they've been putting off, putting off, putting off, making the change because it's a, 
you know, it's, there's a time commitment whenever you switch IT companies, right? And and then as they you have this meaningful conversation with them where they're sharing their frustrations and their dissatisfaction, a lot of them are going to get to the point where, where they're going to want to pull the trigger and do something about it. And so I think a good salesperson has those kinds of meaningful conversations so that the prospect can, you know, evaluate rationally whether or not they should move forward or they shouldn't. And it's one of the first steps in our methodologies to uncover pain or find out that there isn't, there isn't any. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, I, I think that it I mean, is I, I'll be honest with you, a lot of the things that I own, I wouldn't have bought if I didn't have a good salesman selling them to me. And I'm really happy that I bought them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, what I, I, mean? I think, I think uh, that most salespeople do not want to pressure people. Uh, it, it doesn't work anyways. And but we it is incumbent upon us to have meaningful. I like what you call it meaningful conversations with our prospects that hopefully lead them choosing to do the right thing for them, which is to do business with us. Uh, I think one of the things that's also crucial kind of on the other side of that is that a salesperson has got to be consistently prospecting so that they are not reliant on any one deal coming through. Cause that's when we tr try to do things like, Oh, the price is going up Monday, which is yeah. old school, you know, 40, 50 years ago. And maybe it worked then, but it, it, nobody wants to be pressured. So, so that doesn't work at all. Um, yeah. you, you mentioned pain and, and I, I noticed on your website that you actually offer a free for non-customers, for first-time uh, viewers, a free workshop on uncovering pain. Yeah. So yeah. why should we uncover pain? Uh, and what are the three elements of pain and how do we uncover it? Well, why to uncover pain is to find out early on if you're talking to a prospect that really needs to fix something or somebody that uh, really doesn't have a, a deep-seated emotional need to, to fix a problem. Uh, and it's a big time saver for, for you and for the prospect. Uh, and you, your other question was, what's the, th what are the three elements of pain? Yeah. I yeah. So the, somewhere on your website. Yeah. So, uh, surface problem. Uh, so for example, uh, surface problem, I'll, I'll use the it support company. Uh, my it support company is slow getting back to me when we need, when we want to put a ticket in and we need something fixed. Then you have the reasons for the problem. And then you have the impact of the problem. But if you sort it out a little more, there's two kinds of impact of a problem. Uh, there's the the, bis the impact on the business, if you're selling B2B, and there's the impact on the individual. And between those, it's nice to find out what the impact on the business is. You know, it's costing them money due to lost production or whatever. But it's beautiful to find out if there's an impact on the individual that's contacting you. So if you say to them, so how does that impact you personally? Now you're going to start to uncover pain or find out they don't have any. So they're going to share words like they're frustrated or they're fearful. Or there's uncertainty or doubt or worry, anxiety, concern, anger. Uh, there's just about 85 words in the English language that describe negative emotions and different sorts of pain and fear. And that's just a few of them. Uh, I think he had another question in there, but I forgot what it was. No, you're, you're doing great, my friend. Okay. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it is incumbent upon us, again, there, there's that word incumbent, to, to, to be asking the right questions to see if there is any pain, if there yeah. is any need. You know, why would you want to sell to somebody who doesn't have any need for what you've got? That doesn't make any sense. And way too often, I think, salespeople waste their time chasing deals that just aren't there. Um, there's something else interesting about Sandler. By the way, good morning, Michael North. Good to see you. Um, 
Sandler has a submarine. What is the Sandler submarine? You don't have an actual submarine, do you? Yeah, so <laughs> we've, we've got a lot of drawings of it, I'll tell you that much. Uh, the Sandler submarine is a visual aid that describes the seven steps, seven steps of the Sandler selling process. And it's our baseline process. Of course, if you're selling a large account, uh, we have a very built out strategic process as well that the submarine lives within to some extent. Uh, so that's what it is. It's just a visual aid that we use. Uh, and the reason that we uh, that Sandler came up with a submarine is that it's 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 kind of like uh, if if one chamber we describe the seven steps of the selling process as chambers within the submarine. So even if the salesperson isn't highly effective at one particular chamber or one step of the process, because the process is so powerful overall, they'll they'll still be able to do business with the prospect, assuming it's a qualified prospect. And so, in other words, if one of the chambers leaks and this fills up with water, the submarine still will not sink. You've got six other chambers that will keep it buoyant and afloat. And, um, you know, various training providers, Sandler's not the only one, of course, uh, offer a wide variety of programs from like one hour seminars to years long uh, yeah. offerings. How long you mentioned something about five months before. How long is the typical Sandler sales training? Typically, our clients are doing a minimum of four programs, four weeks. Uh, so we like to start people. Well, first of all, I'd love to invite people to just sit in in a complimentary workshop. There are many of them on our website, um, not only paying, but other workshops. You can sit in with paying clients. So they're real training programs. They're not promotional programs. So you can see what it's like. And then we have a conversation. And a lot of times what will happen in the course of the conversation, it just makes all the sense in the world to assess the salesperson or the sales team. And then from there, we develop, uh, generally, we'll start with a, a series of four to eight programs. We do that as a pilot. And then hopefully we're coming to the end of that and people are raving about it and they want more. Then we go into a longer term program. And uh, that can range from months to up to a full year. Uh, and, and then, for example, we get to the end of that year and a lot of times uh, they'll, they're going to want to go on to even more material because we're always introducing new material. It's uh, as a affiliate of Sandler, a franchisee and a creator of some of the material, uh, the, the wealth of material that's coming in all the time, every week, it's like drinking from a fire hose from my perspective. And we, yeah. it's important because we need to stay ahead of what's going on out there. So, so in other words, um, there's a, there's a sales methodology that trains you to use a, uh, a person's first name a lot. And, and I think that's really good stuff, but I think the problem is that it's old. So if you are approached by a salesperson who's using your first name six times in the first half hour yet you've met them, the walls start to come out and you feel like they're working you. You feel like, you know, yeah, they must have learned that in a sales course, right? So material becomes obsolete over time and we need a constant flow of new material so that we can continue to have meaningful conversations with prospects and they don't feel like they're being worked by somebody that just got, a, got out of a sales workshop. Yeah, that's great. You know, I, I saw a, a, a discussion online the other day where uh, somebody was saying, you know, I got this sales call and the guy called me bro on the sales call. Yeah. It made me feel good. And I, I was uh, I, I was like, yeah. uh, if you call me bro on a sales call, yeah. uh, you've lost my my, my deal. I mean, I, I don't call me Jeff if you want to, but bro, yeah. not, not on a sales call. How yeah. do you feel about that? Can you be a little too casual and too familiar in the selling process? So you're prefer to be called boss instead of bro 
I'm just teasing. But I've been called that before too. I don't want to be called dude either. I use those terms in my daily life, but not not on a sales call. I I guess some people like to be called that on a sales call, but it doesn't do anything for me. Maybe Uh, it's a generational thing. I don't know. It could be. Could be. A little more respect, please. We're not training on that around here. I can tell you that. Yeah. There's something that I love that you just said, though. Um, uh, You know, we we hear the term sales training as an event, which is when a company wants to hire you or me or somebody like us, just come in and train my people for the day. And, you know, my response to my prospects is always, look, I'm happy to come in and train your people for a day, but you're only doing one thing. You're paying my mortgage. I'm, I'm, I'm a great trainer, but there's nothing I can do in one day that's going to really change your sales. Uh, I, and I could teach you how to cold call in one day, and that'll make a difference. But if you want real selling skills, it's got to be training plus reinforcement. And that's one of the things I love about what Sandler does. And uh, we're going to give out your uh, your website uh, at the end of this interview. And I urge everybody to go take a look because there are a ton of free resources that uh, that Greg is offering. Uh, some, I, I, I was looking through them like, that would be good. That would be good. So yeah. we'll give that out at the end. Um, sure. Greg, um, you're also you and Sandler are big proponents of DISC. Uh, I've had DISC yeah. trainers on here before, but could you just briefly explain what is DISC and how how can we use it to help us close deals? So DISC is a communication and behavioral model developed by William Moulton Marston. William Moulton Marston graduated Harvard University in 1928 with a degree in clinical psychology. Then he went out to write the original Wonder Woman series of books. And if that wasn't enough, he developed, you didn't know that? Yeah, yeah. fun fact about William Moulton Marston. And then, then he wrote uh, this communication and behavioral model that's been validated. It's been uh, translated into 30 different languages. We offer assessments on it in, in 30 different languages. And uh, studies have shown that salespeople that learn how to use DISC experience a 25% increase in their effectiveness. So that's the high level. And we do a lot of training on DISC, uh, not only in a selling role, but in a leadership role, in a team building role. In fact, speaking of the uh, the inquiry to come in and do a half-day program, I just had one. I'm going to go do DISC December 6th for a company here in Boston. <laughs> Actually, they're flying everybody in, but their headquarters is in Boston. But uh, you really can, in a three-hour program, get to a point with DISC where people can be highly effective at it. And I don't mind doing the short-term one-day programs because 90% of the time, they want more. They want reinforcement training. They see how good it is. They've got the sales team saying, hey, get that guy back here. Let's do more work. And it's not just me. There's five other trainers here besides myself, right? So, uh, but you're right. I mean, to really own most of our material, it does take some reinforcement because as adults, we learn by doing and reinforcement to the doing, whether it be role plays or table exercises or group shares is a big, is a big plus when you're, when you're learning how to use, you know, learn something new, whether it be cold calling or anything else. Yeah, it's been my personal experience that the larger the company, the less likely they are to think that they want the reinforcement piece, especially, I mean, I've worked with major companies, and I'm sure you have too, uh, where they'll have a big training department, but they bring in somebody like you or me, because we're we're typically better than they are what we do, and we often do things that they can't or don't, and, uh, you know, uh, ADP is an example. I did a pilot program with an ADP yeah. uh, office, and it was on, actually on cold calling. Okay. Uh, I spent the day training about how to cold call, went back the next day 
and spent three hours with them on the phones with me, coaching them on the spot. At the end of it, uh, I was sitting with the management team and this, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. Uh, we've never gotten so many appointments in such a short time. This is so brilliant. And I had told them initially, look, if you just do the course and not the reinforcement, it's not going to work. Don't worry, Jeff, we'll do the reinforcement. Well, you cannot probably guess the end of this story. You know, I got in touch with them a couple months later and said, you know, do you, do you want to move forward with something else? He goes, no, it didn't work. Hmm. And I was baffled. I said, what do you mean it didn't work? Remember when we sat down the next day? You said, we've never got this many employment. Hmm. Yeah, but it didn't stick. Sales training does, isn't sticky unless you reinforce it. So I'm with you a million percent. And DISC, yeah. uh, I, I love DISC for a hiring tool. You know, giving a, a, sure. a DISC assessment uh, when you're looking to hire somebody is a brilliant uh uh, brilliant idea. Yeah. Uh, we often hear, and I happen to love this, but I want to ask you so you can explain it to everybody. We often hear about the Sandler concept of the upfront contract. What is an upfront contract and what, we're not, people aren't signing a, a contract for your services. So what is the upfront contract and why is that important? If you start to think about all the things that you don't like that happen on sales calls, the upfront contract will uh, eliminate probably 80 or 90% of them. So for example, you run out of time or the, the person that you thought was going to be there isn't there. Somebody else is there instead. Or you get to the end of the sales call and they give you a think it over or they tell you they're going to get back to you in a week and then they don't, right? So the upfront contract is a verbal agreement between the prospect and the salesperson as to what's going to actually take place on a sales call. So for example, let's say you get an inquiry, you follow up on the inquiry, you get the prospect on the phone and you have a meaningful conversation whereby there is some level of pain there. Uh, let, let's say you're a builder you have a, a, and your, your, vendor is, your vendors aren't delivering materials on time. So you have people on a job site that are sitting around and they, they can't work because materials aren't being delivered on time or there's shortages in the materials that are being delivered. So it's very frustrating. It has an impact on the company in terms of profitability. And it's a frustrating and angering situation for the owner of the construction remodeling company, right? So then, uh, and, 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 and you're, you have a lumber yard and you've got five sales guys outside, five sales guys inside. So your next step is to set up a face-to-face -face with the builder or a Zoom call with the builder. So as you approach the end of the, the, normally it's about 15 to 18 minutes on the initial call to have a good initial call. Uh, they we, we have there's an app that integrates with Salesforce that tells us that. So we, that's how where I got that number from. And now, you, so you say, look, based on what you've been kind enough to share with me, we've helped a lot of other remodelers and builders in a similar situation. I'm not convinced yet I can necessarily help you. But I would love to get together. If you want to invite me over, feed me a cup of coffee. We'll ask each other questions. I'll shoot you straight and I'll tell you whether or not I feel like we're a good fit. And if I feel like we're a good fit, I can promise you that we're going to deliver on time every time that we say we are. And the prospect says, yeah, sure, that'd be great. Now, so you set up the appointment and then you transition to the upfront contract. So transition words could sound something like, now that we set up a time to get together, are you okay if we talk for a moment or two about what's going to happen when I when we meet? They're always going to say yes, right? Because they want to get their pain fixed. You did a good job uncovering the frustration. So the elements of the upfront contract are purpose. What's the purpose of the call? The purpose of the call in this case is to ask each other questions and figure out if it makes sense to work together or not. Agenda theirs. Usually when I get together with somebody like yourself to go over this sorts of things, there's maybe one or two or three things that, you know, you could help me prepare for for when I see you and be ready to field those questions. 
could you be kind enough to share those things with me now? So now you get the prospect thinking and, and it does really help you to prepare for the sales call. But it also paves the way for you to go to agenda hours. So generally when I work with somebody like yourself, there's a couple of things I'd love to know if you could be kind enough to take a look at before I come and see you. So from your perspective, what do you want that prospect to prepare to be able to tell you? Maybe it's the type of materials that they use. Maybe you could say, look, I'm going to shoot you straight. Why don't you get out your last, you know, 10 10, uh, quotes. Let me take a look at them. Let me see what you're buying. And let me see what we got here, because I might be higher on some, I might be lower on others. But if we're packaging it together and you're not cherry picking with me, I'm going to try and shoot to give you a very good deal overall, right? So maybe that's agenda hours and I'm not sure. Then now you come back to time. Given what our purpose is in getting together, what's on your agenda, what's on my agenda, how much time do you think we should block? And if they tell you 15 minutes and you know you need 45, this is your chance to do something about that. Say, look, I, I appreciate we're all busy, but it sounds like this is a pretty serious situation. And in my experience, I think it would be smart to block 45 minutes. Would that be okay with you? So time is very important, but in a way you kind of stack it so that you always get a lot of time, not always, but a lot of time because you covered a purpose, agenda there's agenda ours. Now when you get to time, you have all those things preceding it that make the prospect feel like, well, we've got a lot to cover here. We need to allocate a certain amount of time to make sure we get it all done. And then the last step is outcome. So can we agree that when I come and see you next week on Tuesday at nine o'clock, we're going to ask each other questions. And by the end of the meeting, we're going to make a decision. We're going to make a decision as to whether or not we should have another meeting, whether we should close the file and part as friends. You might tell me right on the spot you want to place a PO. One of those three, is that okay with you, right? So it spells PATO, P-A-A-T-O. That's our acronym for an upfront contract purpose, agenda there's agenda ours, time and outcome. So that's an upfront contract. There are many forms of upfront contracts. That's the kind of vanilla ice cream off the shelf one that you would want to set prior to a sales call. Yeah, I love how 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 non-pressure it is, you know. Uh, you know, I'm not even sure yeah. that I, I can help you. I, I, and by the way, I say the exact same thing, even though I'm not a Sandler franchisee. And, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know I can help you. How, how could I possibly know if I can help you until I meet them? And that's, I think, a mistake that so many salespeople make. Uh, you know, we help companies like yours do this, and I know I can help you. Yeah. Just give me you know, 15 minutes. I, I truly don't know if I can help an organization until I meet with them. I suspect I can. And over the 18 years that I've been doing this business, uh, I think I've run into five companies where I actually said, you know what, you guys are covered. I, I don't have a thing to do for you. I, I really appreciate the time we've invested together, but I'm not your guy. Let me introduce you to somebody else who might be able to help you. Well, but, to be uh, candid, yeah, to be very candid, know. Jeff, um, it's a technique and it's a technique that's needed in many instances because society's view of salespeople is just awful. Exactly. And, and I want to uh, relax the client, relax the prospect so that we can have a transparent and open conversation. It's, a, it's, a, it's what's called a negative reverse. So there are a whole collection of Sandler techniques called negative reverses. And negative reverses are techniques used to disarm prospects. And they're generally acting in a manner that's opposite the way the prospect expects you to act. I mean, who's ever heard of a salesperson that says, you know, we've been able to help a lot of other companies in a similar situation. I'm not convinced yet I can necessarily help you, right? 
and what are they thinking if they've got pain they're thinking well like i hope you can help me i really need some help <laughs> and exactly. so again it's based in psychology as many of our techniques are yeah i i love that that you know the way i i get that point across to salespeople is like I, I tell them that in any given sales situation, don't act like the typical salesperson because nobody likes the typical salesperson. I right. always give the example of uh, Seinfeld, you know, with the four characters and I love them all, but George was my, always my favorite, the perennial loser. And if you know the show, you know that in one episode, George figured out that if everything he does is wrong, all he has to do is the opposite and he'll <laughs> win and he gets a girlfriend and he gets a job and moves out of his parents' house. Well, I always say, what, I love in that any given situation, think about what the typical salesperson would do and do the exact opposite. Um, That's good stuff. One of the things I run into with, with uh, clients uh, or salespeople uh, is, they, they have the ups, what I call the ups and downs of selling, you know, good week, bad week, good month, bad month, good quarter, bad quarter. What can sellers do to maximize the peaks and minimize the valleys? I got a couple of rules. One is discipline equals freedom. Discipline equals freedom. Uh, and another one is consistency equals freedom, especially in prospecting. So going by that, you know, every day, five o'clock, pick a time. Have a time where you're going to plan tomorrow. Take a look at everything you got done that day. Take a look at all the leftovers, the things you didn't get done. You're going to eliminate them. You're going to delegate them or you're going to shift them to the following day or to the next week, right? You're going to time block every day at five o'clock to do your planning and create your action list for tomorrow. Take a look at who you're going to be reaching out to. Uh, another uh, good technique I like to do is time block on your calendar when you'll be prospecting and put it on there for the next month, always a month ahead. So maybe it's nine to 11 every day. You've got it blocked. And the beauty of prospecting in the morning for most people is that once you're done at 11 o'clock, you feel good. You're gratified for the rest of the day. Whereas if you wait till three o'clock to do your prospecting, you're thinking about your prospecting. You got to get done. It's renting space in your head, but nobody's really paying you any money for it. Right. And oh, by the way, generally, you're going to get more callbacks if you make your calls in the morning than if you make them late in the day, because then the evening break comes in and a lot of people will not return a call the next day. So those are a couple of good things. I run a whole program called How to Maximize the Peak and Minimize the Valleys and Sales on that. Very, very, that's a very important issue. So yeah, consistency is king. This, this is the example that I gave before. You know, when Rich Isaac and I did this program, we're agreeing yeah. on everything. You know, consistency <laughs> is a word I use constantly with my clients. You, What I find is the peaks and valleys are typically uh, forming because Salespeople don't like to prospect. I don't like to either, by the way. I don't like to. I have to do it as part of my job, otherwise I'm going to starve. But it's it's consistently and effectively prospecting takes away those peaks and valleys because what typically happens is we we get busy with other stuff and the first thing we drop is the prospecting. And you know, you and I both know that you, you don't prospect today and get paid tomorrow. You get paid somewhere down the line, but because there's no direct relationship, prospect today and get paid tomorrow. Oh, if I don't prospect for a while, it's okay. Nope. That's to me what causes the peaks and valleys. So I'm with you a million percent. Yeah. So salespeople can get lulled into a false sense of security when they have a good month and they're making bank and they're closing a lot of deals and they get caught in a comfort zone and they stop their prospecting. And that's the problem. So it's really a comfort zone issue. So you have to realize when you're getting caught in that comfort zone and you're getting away from the behaviors that have made you successful to begin with and just keep those going. 
And uh, I've had I've got a lot of experience with this. And that's how I created the program, maximizing the peaks and minimizing the valleys and sales, because I had the CEO of a private jet service company. I was training 80 salespeople at this private jet service company telling me how busy they were in August. It was their best month of the year. People are getting ready to come back from vacation, plan their trips home, plan their business trips for September and October. But then in September, he said, in his words, not mine, he said, sales would just fall off a cliff in September. So I interviewed a number of his salespeople and managers. And at first they told me, oh, we were just too busy because August is so busy. But then when I really, really drilled down, what I found out was they had time to prospect. They were just getting caught in a comfort zone in August. So they'd stop prospecting. And that's why sales would fall off a cliff in September. And out of that came this program to help them be more consistent. Yeah, love that. Yeah. Good morning, Ray Aurora. Thank you for joining us. Um, is there a difference between, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> selling to smaller business, maybe SMBs, as opposed to enterprise accounts? And if so, how do we approach those differently? Yeah, so with an enterprise level account, you have a much larger cast of characters that you'll need to be able to politically map and identify who has authority, who has influence, who pretends to have authority but doesn't have any authority. So you have you have about a half a dozen, seven different types of players. And you, you in order to be effective in selling a large account, you really need to be effective at identifying what you're dealing with. And so that is a big difference between selling to a large account and a small account. Because in a small account, you, you know, there might be one person that you're dealing with, the owner of the of the the company. And that's the person that you got to uncover pain and walk them through these seven steps of the Sandler selling system. Whereas with a large account, you have that whole strategic aspect of it that you have to be skilled at in order to be effective at it. So, yeah, there's there's big differences. Got it. And uh, you wrote a book called Why People Buy. I think we yeah. all want to know why people buy. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's kind of uh, like some of the things we've been talking about already. People buy for uh, one of four different reasons. They buy ways to avoid and overcome pain. They buy ways to get rid of fear. So if you're selling insurance or you sell maintenance contracts, people a lot of times are motivated to invest in those because of fear, right? We already talked a lot about pain, frustration, uncertainty, doubt, worry, anxiety, concern, anger. Those are pain words, right? And then people are going to buy pleasure ways to have pleasure you know it could be a, a cruise ship or you have the perception of pleasure in the future right so those are the four reasons they're all emotional right so there's always an emotional component to a buy but then again a person you know there's a psychological model called transactional analysis where the child part of the personality is the emotional part they want to get rid of the pain they want to enjoy right whatever it is and then that kind of checks with the adult, which is the logical part of our personality. So if you were selling to the adult, you'd say, this is a really good investment for you, right? And then there's the critical parent part of the personality that, you know, this is why you have back outs and bias remorse because salespeople aren't highly trained as to how to deal with critical parent, although in Sandler we are. So we shorten our sales cycles because of that and have very few back outs. Great, love that. Um, in, in doing my research, I, I saw something interesting. It, it seems, if, I, if I'm reading this right, that you're actually against using features and benefits when you're selling. Why is that and what should we be, if, am I right? If so, what is, why is that and what should we be doing instead? 
Well, I'm against using features and benefits early on in the sell cycle. I think it's important to identify what their needs, goals, objectives, and pains are early on. And then later on the process, when it's time to present, which is the sixth step of our seven-step process, by the way, then we make the ties between the pain, the goals, the problems, and the features and benefits of our product or service. So we are presenting uh, features and benefits and aspects of our product or service, but always relative to a need, a pain, an objective that was expressed by the prospect or the client. We're not leading with them as most salespeople are. And I think that, that uh, you, you kind of point out that when salespeople lead with that, they're really doing free consulting. And that's something we should yeah. not be doing, right? Yeah, they're doing free consulting and they could be presenting the wrong product or the wrong service. They could be doing bad consulting, bad free consulting. I mean, in order to be do a good job with consulting, you really got to understand the objectives, the problems. There's a lot of things to understand before you go in there and you start to lead with you should do this and you should do that. Right? Yeah, this is why I'm so adamant that I'm against people who walk in and say, first of all, thank you for your time today. I'm sure you're busy, so let me get right to the point. Here's why Jeff Goldberg and Associates or why uh, Sandler is the greatest sales training company in the world and why you should use us. And then they throw up all over you and you're yeah. giving everything away without knowing if there is a need, if there is a pain or uh, in, in my world, what I look for is just what they're doing now to see if I can help them do it better. But it, with, without doing the, the, the right, to me, the most important thing in the sales process, whether it's seven steps or six steps like I teach or 10 yeah. steps, it, it's asking questions. If, if you're not asked, if you're just pitching, first of all, you're doing it wrong as far as I'm concerned. And by the way, I hate that word pitch, but we, you know, uh, eventually we do have to tell people what we're going to do for them. By the way, that's the fourth step in my six step process. But uh, it, it's, it's, it all comes down to really uncovering that need or pain or want by asking them questions instead of just pitching it. it again, that's, that's old school. And I don't know how long you've been doing this. I've been selling 48 years. And we were all taught way back then. That's how you do it. I sold Encyclopedia Britannica door to door. Which wow. is a pitch. You're going back. Eight, eight years, my friend, <laughs> along with 2,499 other salespeople across the US. Uh, but it Excellent. was a pitch, a one hour pitch. You'll love this. It was a, a one of those notebooks that you could stand up and it like opened up so it would stand up and you would turn the pages and re literally look at the page and read it to the, the customer. I sold a lot of encyclopedias that way, but yeah. we're talking almost 50 years ago. Um, there was something interesting, uh, another interesting thing I saw uh, on your one of your LinkedIn posts. What's the difference between hard work and smart work? Yeah, well, at Stanley, we're big believers in working smart. So we, we want you to have an effective process for selling, effective processes for building bonding and rapport. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think we all know what hard work is. <laughs> I think you were just talking about it, leading with selling features and benefits, doing free consulting. You know? uh, so we're all about working smart, not hard. Um, now, if you want to do both, you make even more money. Well, that was going to be my question. Shouldn't we be doing both? Uh, you know, whenever somebody says to me, work smarter, not harder, my question is, if you're not already working as hard as you can and smart as you can, what the heck are you doing? What the heck are you doing? I mean, uh, why would you go into sales if you didn't wait, want to make a lot of money? It yeah. just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, Dr. Rich Atkins says sales is an amalgam of logic and emotion. Uh, by the way, I had dinner with Dr. Rich Atkins last night. Boy, oh boy, that was some delicious barbecue. And he says each feature and benefit should be tied to each point they named of what they're doing 
wrongly, badly, inefficiently. Thank you, Dr. Rich. Uh, there was something else I saw that I don't understand, and I'd love to know what this one means. What do you mean when you say, tie down the sail with a monkey's paw? Yeah, so monkey paw is a, a nautical terminology that we happen to use in selling at Sandler. So when, when a big ship comes in, uh, they throw down a, a skinny rope to the dock, and the skinny rope is attached to a larger rope called a hauser using a certain type of a knot, sometimes referred to as a monkey's fist or a monkey's paw. So, yeah, so the, the idea is the way to sell a big ticket. The problem with selling a big ticket item in many cases is that the emotional risk that the buyer feels is just so high. They're worried that, you know, what if I make an incorrect purchase? So they end up doing doing nothing. So around the office, uh, one of the trainers and I have our, you know, our biggest competitors sometimes is do nothing, right? <laughs> it's not other sales training companies. It's we want to make sure we, we don't get to the end and they just decide to do nothing. That's the competitor, right? And so with a big ticket item, it makes a lot of sense sometimes to do a study, a pilot program, an analysis first. So you can get to know all the parties, you can give them more information, and you can make sure that your recommendations are spot on with what's needed and appropriate. And in fact, I gotta be honest with you, we do a lot of that around here with our larger accounts. We do a lot of monkey paws. We do a lot of assessments. We do a lot of, uh, you know, we gather a lot of information early on and have a lot of conversations. Uh, we get paid for it, not a lot of money, uh, but it's enough that, um, it, it, you know, covers some of our costs and the clients love it because now they're, they're, they've got a, an assessment of their sales team. They know where their strengths are. They know where their growth potential is. Uh, we've agreed on what we should focus on, at least for the first month or two of training. So that's a monkey's fist, a monkey's paw. Yeah. Thank you. I, I love I love learning stuff like that. Um, th there's something else that I really liked a lot when I saw it in, in one of your posts. And it, it, it said, close the sale or close the file. Could you just elaborate on that, please? Because I think it's so crucial. If you're using the Sandler material correctly and you've had good training, uh, there are only four acceptable outcomes to a sales call. A yes, that's, you know, you close the deal. A no, that's acceptable. Not every time, there's not gonna be a fit every time. A clear future, an example of that would be a scheduled next step. And then the last one is a referral or an introduction. And so, what we are against is the get back to me's that will let you know, you know, you get to the end of the prospect. Let me get back to you in a week. Well, that's a think it over. And really, if you, if you've studied Sandler and you know how to uncover pain and you set your upfront contracts, you shouldn't get those at the end. And so get into the habit of getting one of the four acceptable outcomes and you're going to make a lot more money. And you're, and you're also not going to be chasing around people. Many of them probably would have never bought anyway. You don't know, but uh, you'll, you'll be working a lot smarter. There's an example of working smarter right there. So instead of taking think it overs, get back to me and we'll let you knows, learn how to be effective at getting yeses, noes, clear futures, and referrals and introductions. Yeah, and I can't tell you how many times I've said to salespeople, you know, learn to love the word no. I, I love yes better, but no is a very close second for me because not everybody's going to buy. I'd like to get your thoughts on, on something else. I mean, you you kind of alluded to price uh, early on in this conversation. I don't know exactly what Sandler charges, but um, in Sandler world, is it uh, appropriate and advisable? How, 
let me ask it another way. How early on do you discuss your, your pricing with your prospects? Um, and here's why I'm yeah. asking. Um, typically, the typical sales, uh, you know, especially when you're delivering a proposal, the price is always on the last page. You get people yeah. interested and at the end you tell them the price. So my question is, is it reasonable uh, especially in a larger ticket item when like like you're a VP of sales I go okay the program's going to be 150,000 uh is it reasonable to expect a decision on the spot uh, or is it reasonable for them to want to consider that for a while it's the third step in the Sandler submarine but with a uh with a with a big ticket item uh, I, I'd give maybe give them a ballpark but then back off to do some kind of an analysis or an assessment or a study you know, so you could say, look, it, it could be anywhere from a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand, uh, but that's too much pressure on you, and it's too much pressure on me. May I suggest we do an analysis first, and that analysis, you know, it will cost three, four thousand dollars, but that'll give us a lot of good and useful information, and give me the ability to give you a very accurate uh, proposal agreement. So. I wouldn't. Uh, and how do you really know if it's a big project? Do you really know what it's going to be up front? You're, you're taking a shot at it and you could be shooting yourself in the foot. Right? Yeah. It, so it, it's the third. Step. Will, it's generally the fourth ahead. step out of the seven steps. It's in the middle of our process. Comes yeah, after. In, in my world, I got it. In my world, I do know what I'm going to propose before I walk out of somebody's office after right. the first meeting because I don't offer a gazillion different things like you You guys have a wide variety of yeah. products and services that you can offer. Uh, and my, for me, which, by the way, we sell a particular service, may not apply to everybody, but may, I don't leave anybody's office without giving them an idea. You know, hey, you know Greg, uh, I, I've got to go back and put pencil to paper, you know, really, you know, consider everything we've talked about. But my gut right now says you're looking somewhere in the sixty, sixty-five thousand dollars range, mm. something like that. Is that about what you had in mind? Because what I don't want to do is, you know, go back and invest the time to write a proposal and then take the time to come back and meet with somebody again, only to find out they had two thousand dollars in mind. And I actually had that happen one time. Uh, it, I came back with a, a proposal for I think it was thirty-nine thousand dollars, and I was like, oh my god, that's so much more than I was expecting. I'm like, really? What were you expecting? He goes. Uh, about 600. I'm like 600 per person. He goes, no, we have $600 in the budget for the whole thing. Well, I learned very quickly that uh, I, I don't want to waste my time dealing with people who have unrealistic expectations because uh, I'm with you. Close it or get rid of it. Yeah. Good thing you found out early on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I, I'm very big on for myself and anybody I work with is in sales, you've got to protect your time like a mother lion protects her cubs because yeah. it's the one thing we cannot get back. You can make more money. You can usually get your health back if you lose it, usually, but you can't get back. The, the hour that you and I are investing right now, if we're not providing value for the people who are listening, then mm -hmm. we've ripped them off. So I'm very big on that. Um, Good. What do you mean when you say get an IOU for everything? Frequently, clients are going to ask us to do extra things, and you got a couple of choices. One is you get nothing for it. The other is you charge for it, which you know sometimes just creates a riff. So, uh, you're, in many instances, you can get a marker for it, as David Sandler used to say, or an IOU. So, for example, if your normal lead time is two weeks, and you got to put somebody on overtime to get it out in three days, because that's how quickly they need it. One alternative is to charge them a 30% expedited delivery charge, right? Another alternative is say, listen, I'll tell you what, I, I, how about this? 
I'll get it shipped out to you in three days. I won't charge you an expedited delivery charge, but you owe me one. Well, what do you mean I owe you one? I'm going to give you a call maybe in a month. I'm too busy right now to take any referrals or introductions. But if you could be kind enough about somebody that you that you know, love, and care about that you feel could benefit from what we do, I greatly appreciate it. How does that sound? You don't pay me any money. You just help me out with an introduction, and and I won't I won't be able to follow up on it till about a month from now. Is that okay with you? Great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, something else that I saw that you offer a, a clinic on, I think is unbelievably crucial and that's building a pipeline. Almost all of us need a stronger pipeline. What can we do to both build and maintain a strong pipeline of prospects? I want to say come to our pipeline builder workshop. <laughs> I wish I could do it, you know, in two minutes, but uh, we, we normally take 90 minutes to help people do that. And that's a really nice program that goes with it too. <laughs> What's that? Is there any advice you can give in a couple of minutes? Uh, look at all the different ways that you can generate leads and then make a plan. You know, consider everything. And, uh, you know, there's there's been big advances in AI. Uh, do you have a good marketing resource? Are you doing it yourself? Learn as much as you can about marketing or outsource it or work very closely with somebody because what's tr what's changed over the last 10 years dramatically is uh, things are a lot more inbound now than outbound. I'm not saying that outbound sales, outbound marketing can't work, but I think you need to have generally, you need to have an inbound marketing program that's closely coupled with the actions of your salespeople and your sales team. So it's a good idea to look into that. And make sure that your sales team members are technically adept at using things like Sales Navigator, all the AI stuff the AI that's out there. Uh, we're getting a little feedback where that's coming from. Uh, so, so that's it. That's it. Nutshell. Nutshell. Got it. Um, are you? Uh, I don't know if you, uh, does does the sailor system still believe in cold calling? I think cold calling can work. Um, I, I would just combine it with some other techniques, like why not message somebody on LinkedIn and follow up with a call or sales navigator or email them. Uh, but you could do it alone. You, you can do it without having sent anything in advance. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I teach a blended approach to prospecting is I, I don't know what reports you're reading, but everyone I read says it takes between 14 and 18 touches just to get somebody to respond today. So uh, I still believe that cold calling in combination with other things is the most cost effective and time efficient way to fill your calendar with appointments. My question is really about if you're going to cold call. Do you think it's better for the salespeople to do it themselves or to have a separate organization, either an outside organization or a, a, a separate department in the organization to do it for them? Yeah, let me just say this, um, backing up just for a second, please. Sure. We have a program where we train, train people how to make cold calls. It's integrated with some other things. And the contact rate using that program is 26%. In other words, get a list from Zoom in of 100 names based on your persona, size, company, industry, title, title, and you start to prospect within five attempts using the methodology that we train on, you'll get a hold of 26 out of the 100. 
the average telemarketer salesperson is getting a hold of seven. So, so your other question was, does it make sense? Should salespeople be doing it? Should well, yeah, should exactly right. Should salespeople be making their own calls, or should somebody else be doing it for them? It's a really good question, but there's so many variables to that question. You know, I mean, can you afford to have somebody else doing it for them? I know, you know, technology has adopted that model where you have BDRs or SDRs setting appointments, then you have your account execs that are largely sales based on those appointments. And to some extent, they may be setting some of their own. I think you got to look at what kind of budget you want to work with. I do like it generally, but there's a lot of things to consider. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, I can tell you there's one thing I hate about cold calling, which is, well, I don't like doing it myself. I love teaching it, but I don't like doing it. But I hate when I pick up the phone and there's that two or three second delay because they're using a predictive dialer. Drives me nuts. It, it's just if you if, if you want to call me, you better when I say hi, this is Jeff. You better be talking immediately. Um, I, we're quickly running out of time, but uh, I think I have time for one more. And you know. I'm an old guy, and so my memory isn't as good as it should be. We might have touched on this before, but if not, what is a false premise, and how do we handle those? It's an incorrect proposition that forms the basis of an argument. So, for example, I was on a sales call. Uh, it's about two weeks ago, and uh, it was a second visit with the CEO of this company. He wanted me to come up to Vermont to do their yearly sales conference. And we agreed yeah, on a price. Agree said, price. Come back in a week. I want you to be my two district sales managers. So I said, sure. So I show up for the meeting. Sit down. Uh, I, I, the price came up. One of the district sales managers says, yeah, that's fine. That sounds good. The other one says, $13,000 for a day of training. That's an awful lot of money. And that's an incorrect proposition. And I said, well, look, if I was Taylor Swift, you wouldn't be saying that. And all three of them just cracked up laughing. The CEO of the company nearly fell off his chair. And they said, okay, fine, we're doing it. So the question is, what do you do with a false premise? So there are several strategies. Number one is you change the environment. You change the environment by using humor. Another one is you take their false premise of the ridiculous. Right. So I did that as well. I did that as well. (laughs) So there's a couple of answers. answers. Got it. Hey, Greg, we are out of time. So I'm sharing my screen right now. Uh, Would you please tell people how they can reach you? I'm sure there are some people after hearing this who are going to be interested. How do they reach you? And please remember, this is on video right now, but this will be on a podcast so people can't hear it. So if you give out your contact information, that would be great. Yeah, just call us up. 617-338-0993. Uh, and uh, if I'm not available, uh, set up a Zoom call. Anybody that answers the phone has my calendar, and uh, they can set a call up with me or one of the other trainers here. And then you can also uh, email us at gregatjnatraining.com. I'm reading off on the screen share. And then we have our website, GNA. Perfect, Greg. Greg, I really appreciate your time and for you sharing your brilliance so generously. And I will end this as I always do. Guys, please remember that sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks again, Greg. Thanks, Jeff. Nice job. Appreciate it.